I want to speak tonight about how to bless the city. And uh, at the start of a kind of a new period, a new season in our lives, uh, we're re-emerging, we're reconnecting, we're working out what, what, what our lives are about. There's lots of opportunities, lots of maybe exciting things happening. But at the same time, maybe a number of us are feeling a bit of kind of cognitive dissonance about the 18 months we've just had. I was reading in the Washington Post an article talking about uh, what they described as uh, pandemic flux syndrome. Not a technical term, but just a, a useful name Amy Cuddy's come up with for that sense that a number of us have that although we're re-emerging into normality, normality isn't all we expected it to feel like. And we're still carrying a number of us, maybe a little bit of sadness, a bit of frustration, a bit of unease about how things are. And maybe, um, and this is across the board, all sorts of contexts and careers and backgrounds, people are still carrying some of the scars of the last 18 months. And if that's the case, it takes a little bit of extra courage and a little bit of extra energy to step out and to reach out and to connect again. Because after a year and a half of rapid change and sometimes quite traumatic change, where events have felt outside of our control, we can become a little bit passive because we kind of feel like, well, at the end of the day, we're just being buffeted by forces outside our control. And that's why it's more important than ever, perhaps, to remind ourselves of our identity as people who are called, who are equipped, and who have been shaped for a purpose that goes beyond us, to impact and to bless our communities, our workplaces, our companies, our schools, our hospitals, and our city. And what we see in this passage speaks directly to that. Now, Jesus has just been talking about the Beatitudes. He's been talking about how you might live a blessed life. And it looks a little bit different to how we might expect to live a blessed life. Jesus says, if you want to live a blessed life, you want to be blessed, then be humble. Seek the lowest place. Be meek. Don't push yourself forward. Uh, be hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, seek holiness in your life. And then he says this. The first thing we see in this passage is how important it is to be distinct. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Not you could be the salt of the earth, not you should be the salt of the earth, but that you are the salt of the earth. Your identity, your purpose, whatever he has placed you, is to be salt. And salt, as you know, has um, two main functions. Um, and the chefs among you will know this very well, um, or the cooks, or if you've ever cooked. Um, uh, it amplifies flavor, so you kind of, you know, a little bit of salt will help amplify the flavor in the food you're cooking, but it also resists decay. So, you know, if you, in the days before fridges, you would rub lots of salt, lots and lots of salt, into, um, into meat to, to resist the decay, to stop bacteria. And actually, if you were unlucky enough to be on a ship a few hundred years ago, and you had a major injury, um, then they would actually throw salt into your wound to stop it going bad, which must have been extremely painful when you think about it. Don't try that at home. And um, so salt has this tube, it, it kind of enhances flavour and it resists decay. It brings out the best and it resists the worst. And it does both those things by being distinct, by being a different chemical compound to that which it's applied to. You know, it's sodium chloride and it's different. Its value, its purpose is tied to it being distinct. And Jesus says you're the sort of the world, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Oops, making a bit of a mess here. Um, 
It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If salt loses its saltiness, its distinct essence, it's not useful for anything. Because the very thing it's for is to bring something different, to bring something distinct. And the phrase salt of the earth is really helpful, actually. Because to be really useful, salt has to be distinct, and yet it has to be immersed. For you to really have an impact, you have to be different to those who are around you, but you still have to have people around you. You still have to be closely connected to people. And that can be quite a hard place to be, because ultimately, it's a strong temptation for all of us to feel like we fit in. Like it, It's a bit difficult to go against the crowd. We don't want to be like the odd one out. It's nice to feel like we're part of the team and we're the same as everyone else and to feel like we belong. But what if there is a way of belonging that benefits those that you're with because you are distinct? Now, I grew up in a beautiful town just north of London called Luton. And um, I, love, I love my hometown. <laughs> And um, it's a wonderful place. My family still live there. And, um, uh, and, but I went to, we lived in quite a rough area of that town. And I went to quite a rough school. Um, it, it's these days what you would call a failing school, largely because it failed and they knocked it down. And, um, and, and in my year, just to give you an idea, that like one six, 16% of people got five C's at GCSE. So it's like a little bit dangerous at times and a bit violent at times. And I learned lots there about all sorts of things. Um, and then a few years later, I started working as a barrister. And on my first day working as a barrister, I turned up and I was very nervous because the people I was working with were, were very, very smart. They were very, very clever. And um, they were from slightly different backgrounds to me. And so I just was a bit worried about fitting in. And on my first day, the boss kind of opened the door for me. And I was like, cheers, mate. And he kind of looked at me and said, what did you say? And I said, cheers, mate. And um, he said, what? And I said, oh, I said, oh, I've said the wrong thing already. And then later in the day, he, he, he said to me, Stephen, where did you get your suit from? And I said, Suits Direct. And um, he said, really? And I said, yeah. And I, said, I thought, oh, I've done something else wrong. And, um, and then he sat me down. And I was thinking, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't just going to work. You know, they're quite different to me, different background to me. Uh, maybe I'm not really going to fit in here. And then my boss sat me down. He talked me through the first case we were doing. And he said, look, it's quite difficult. Just started. Um, we're defending someone accused of driving a lorry load of drugs into the UK. And he was explaining the facts. He said, look, basically, it looks like he's in on it. It looks like he's part of the conspiracy. It looks like he's part of the cartel because there is five million pounds worth of drugs in the back of his van, in the back of his lorry. And, um, you know, the cartel's not going to trust five million pounds of drugs to someone who isn't in on it. They want him to be in on it. Uh, the drugs are there. It's a high value item. Obviously, the strong presumption is that he, he's... He's guilty, and, and we're going to have to work quite hard, but I'm not sure how we're going to be able to persuade the jury that he's not. Because, you know, I mean, why would, why would they let him drive the van unless he knew what was in it? And I said, well, yeah, but there's no honor amongst thieves, is there? He said, what? And I said, well, you know, I mean, I mean how do they know he's not just going to drive the van to another place, you know, cut a deal with one of their competitors, and then um, he can get rich and just divert the supply chain that way? Or, to be honest, I mean, you know, any conspiracy is only as strong as its weakest link and you know how do they know that he's not going to have a few too many beers or you know use some of the product and then you know down the pub he's talking away chatting 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 and before you know it, he's told everyone what he's going to be doing and before you know it, he's going to have surveillance on him or how did they know that, that they could trust him I mean I mean why take the risk you know the drugs are well sealed they're well packed they're not obvious in the van there's no need to tell him you know why introduce that element of risk into your supply chain you know I mean, why would the cartel need to tell him at all? Better not to tell him. 
You know, it's, in my experience, most of these gangs tend to operate on a need-to-know basis. My, my, my boss said, what is your experience, Stephen? And I was like, oh, um, well, you know, just, just life and friends and, you know, things like that. Anyway, my boss used this line in his closing speech, and the guy was acquitted, and my boss was so happy, he bought me a new suit. And, um, <laughs> and I suddenly thought, oh, may, maybe it will work. Not because I'm exactly the same, but because I'm a little bit different. And, uh, and sometimes the very thing that makes you different isn't a disadvantage, you might at the moment be thinking, you know, it's a bit awkward carrying my faith with me into my workplace or into my hospital, my school or my university or, you know, into this context or that context. I just feel a bit awkward. It's always there in the background. And what if it comes up and it, it kind of sets me apart a little bit, makes me a bit different? What if the very thing that enables you to be, bring blessing to the people you work with, the blessing the people you support, the blessing the people you've been placed alongside is your faith is the very thing that makes you different. And in my experience, there's two opposing risks. I normally fall into one of these. The first is to be so desperate to maintain your distinctness that you separate yourself from the world, from other people, because you, you don't want to be tainted by them in some way. So you're very pure, you know, you're salt that hasn't been contaminated in any way, but it's no use because you're so far away. That's one risk. You need to be close enough to help people. But the second risk is to be so immersed, so alongside people, so indistinguishable from everyone else around you. You spend so long trying to appear exactly the same as everyone else you're with, that one day you wake up and you are the same as everyone else you're with. You've lost that very thing that makes you different, that makes you distinct. And that's why it's so important uh, to remind yourself why you're there. I do this tomorrow maybe, you know, if you work in an office or wherever you are, you could just take a bit of salt with you on the bus, whatever, just, just put it on your office, just spread out some salt on your desk like that. Don't put it in a line or HR will get very worried. Um, <laughs> but just put some salt, that's it. this is why I'm here. I'm not here for the same reason as everyone else. You know, when it comes to my performance review, my performance appraisal, oh, oh, you say I did this target, that target, bonus for this, da, 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 that's all fine, but maybe I need to review my own. Am I still sore in this place? You could use the Beatitudes. Am I more merciful than I was a year ago? Am I humble? Am I seeking the lowest place? You know, am, I, am I desiring to be holy? Am I encouraging those around me? Am I blessing those around me? Because ultimately, I'm not here for the same reason they're here for. Yeah, I want to do a great job. Yeah, I want to bless this company. But one of the ways I'm going to do that, one of the ways I'm going to make a difference is by being distinct because I'm walking to a different beat. And you might say, well, look, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but I'm on my own. Like, it's 300 to 1. But, you know, if you're, if, say you've got two kilos of food, how much salt do you need to season that? About six grams? That's about... 300 to 1. You don't need much salt to season the food. You don't need much influence to make a difference. You don't need many people to season a company or a sector. You don't need many people to season a school or a hospital or a university or a context or a community. You don't need many people to have an impact on a city. Not if you've got a conviction, you've been placed there for a purpose. You might say, well, yeah, I'd love to be salt, but I'm not sure I can. I just don't know if I've got it in me. No, but you have the Lord Jesus Christ in you if you know him by his spirit. 
and he's with you, and he's even more interested than you are in you being in that place and you being distinct in such a way that brings blessing to those around you. Be distinct. And then Jesus says, be visible. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When you place your trust in Jesus, he puts his light in you. This is a light, just in case you haven't seen one. And um, he puts his light in you and his light shines in you and it shines through you to those around you. That's what light does. You never have to persuade light to shine. It's in its essence to shine. Light gives off light. It's the natural quality of light to be visible and to make things visible. Light illuminates. It brings clarity. It enables you to see things as they really are. And Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. They just don't do that because why would you do that? Because it's pointless. I mean, why would you light a lamp and put it under a bowl? There's no reason to do that. Jesus is right. No one does that except sometimes I do that. So sometimes I'm here on a Sunday and I'm like, you know, how great is our God? Sing with me, how great. And then on Monday, someone sends me an annoying email and I'm like, <laughs> why do they do that? So annoying. What are you know, and sometimes I'm like, you know, on a Sunday, I'm like, yeah, how great. So great. Yeah, everyone, hi. Yeah, hands in the air. Woo. You know, yeah, how great. And then on Wednesday, someone says, how was Sunday? What did you do at the weekend? And I'm like, not much. Just watched the boxing on Saturday night and Sunday I just chilled out. And then someone, you know, someone says something, and I, and I easily, without even thinking about it, I'm hiding my light. And I don't want to, I don't mean to, it just happens almost subconsciously, but I'm kind of hiding it. But light isn't meant to be hidden. It's meant to shine. It's so easy to do this. When I was um, at Sixth Form College, uh, you know, 17, um, I had a faith I was quite happy to have a faith. I was quite happy that I you know, knew Jesus and that's good. But I didn't want it to be out front because I had lots of, um, had lots of mates and you know, I was in kind of the in crowd. We got to go to all these cool parties, have a fun time. And I was a bit worried that if, I was, you know, if, if they knew too much about my faith, it might impact their view of me. And I, I didn't want to burn all my relational capital that way. So I kind of kept it really secret actually. But there was one girl in one of my classes, who had sussed me out. She had some kind of radar for Christians. And um, she was called Becky. And she, uh, after, the, after one of the classes, she came up to me and said, Stephen, can we have a word? And, uh, and I said, yes. Tip, if someone says that to you, say no. And, um, and I said, yes. And so she said, Stephen, you're never going to be able to help anyone with your life if you keep your faith in a box. And she did it politely. She did it firmly, she did it kindly, compassionately, and then she turned around and walked away. And I kind of walked away from that conversation and I thought, who does she think she is? Self-righteous, judging, she doesn't know me, she doesn't know anything about me. I was walking away thinking, Becky this, Becky that, you know. And, um, but by the time I got home, the most irritating thing about everything she said was that it was absolutely true. And I was thinking, she's right. I mean, what am I doing? I mean, I'm worried of burning a bit of relational capital. I mean, the reason I might have been placed in this place is to burn that relational capital. I mean, I don't know how long I'm going to be alongside these people for. Maybe a long time. Maybe a short time. Maybe I'll have an influence. Maybe I won't. But it's worth taking a risk. I mean, why not just take the risk? 
And I look back now, so many different places I've been, and I think, oh, I spent a bit of relational capital there, I did take a few risks, could have taken a bit more. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't there. Why didn't I do it there? I kind of kicked myself. You know, it's, it's, it's gone. You have a little bit of influence for a little bit of time, and then it's gone. I think, oh, I wish I'd invested it, I wish I'd taken the risk. So how do we do it? Well, just before the pandemic, I was at a wedding, and um, I was chatting to this guy on the side of the dance floor, and we both worked out, it was a bit early in the night, for us to start throwing shapes. So we we're just kind of, you know, at the edge of the dance floor, just surveying the scene. And, uh, and he was saying, you know, we we're just talking about where we worked. And I, when he said his company, I thought, oh, I know that company. I know someone who works at that company. So I took a risk and I said, you know, you don't know Alex, do you? And um, he was like, yeah, 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 I know Alex. I mean, he's a, bit, he's a bit more senior than me, but I know him. Actually, he doesn't even work in my team. But the thing is about Alex, he said, he's just so kind. He's really encouraging. He's kind of, he's almost like a mentor figure in the workplace. And... Um, even though some of us junior people aren't in his area, he's just really encouraging with us and supportive and takes an interest. He's such a good guy to have around. He said, actually, it's not just that. He's got real integrity. And I said, what do you mean? I was like, I didn't know he's such a nice guy. And um, he was like, you know, well, sometimes the board will be about to decide something and he'll hear about it and he'll go to them and say, look, I'm not sure this is consistent with our values. He's incredibly brave and have a whole conversation with them. And sometimes he's actually changed the company's direction and policy over those conversations. He, he's really made an impact. And then there was a pause and he said, how do you know Alex? And I was like, oh. And I was like, um, oh, well, you know, we, we kind of um, go to the same church. And um, he was like, oh, Alex goes to church. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he goes, I didn't know he went to church. He said, oh, that kind of makes sense though. That's interesting. He said, um, he said, do you go to church? I said, yeah, yeah, we go to the same church. He said, oh. He said, do you have like services? And I was like, yeah, that's one of the things that churches do. We kind of, and um, he said, what, well, on like Sundays? I said, yeah, on Sundays. He said, and, and can people just come to them? I said, we let them right in. We kind of, um, you know, you can just come in. He's like, all right, do you think it'd be all right if I came sometime? And I was like, yeah. He said, because I'm just thinking about faith. And I said, well, yeah, you could. I mean, we've also got this Alpha course starting in a couple of weeks. You could come to that if you wanted. You know, it's just a relaxed opportunity to explore questions of faith, have a chat, have some food, and have a conversation with people like you. And he was like, oh, that sounds cool. Anyway, I walked away. I was like, that was so easy. Like, I normally make it so stressful. And I was like, why was it so easy? And I was like, ah, because my part was just a little nudge. Alex had done about two years of being light in his workplace, of showing, letting his light shine before people. And that had made all the difference because this guy had seen it and seen the integrity and all it took was a little nudge. I often complicate it when it's me. You know, if I'm thinking about who to invite for Alpha, I'm like, you know, I take my phone out, deep breath. And I'm like, right, Matt. So I like, dear, no, hi, Matt. Um, long time no see, hope you're doing well. Looking forward to catching up. Just wondering, brackets, no pressure. Um, if you fancy doing this thing called the Alpha course, which we're doing at church, uh, just an opportunity to think about big things and have a chat with people. Um, I'm happy to come if you want to go along, but as I say, no pressure and in any respect, look forward to catching up sometime soon. Thanks. Cheers, Steve. Kiss? No. No kiss, no kiss, no kiss. Um, and then I'm like, pray, pray, send. And then I'm like, and like, oh, he's opened it. Oh, he's read it. Oh, he's not typing. Oh, no. <laughs> And then you're like, what's happening? Is he like chatting to other people about it? Has he taken a screenshot and put it in his WhatsApp group and said that crazy Christian Steve is trying to invite me to stuff again? Has he invited any of you guys? You're like, you're like freaking out. But there's no need. 
Do you know, latest research shows one in five of the people in close proximity to you right now, one in five would be interested in having a conversation about Jesus. Is that amazing? One in five. I mean, I'm not saying tomorrow morning at work, you go up and say, are you interested in having a conversation about Jesus? You? Like, where's the fifth person? Like, I'm going to find them. But, it, but it's worth having, okay, it's not such a big thing. But in other ways too, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And the Bible, I love the Bible, it's so balanced. One place it says, do this in secret so that your Father may see from heaven and reward you. Another place it says, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing. But here Jesus says, there are times it's really important to let your light shine, let people see your good deeds so that people can see and praise your Father in heaven. We moved um, here uh, just um, in April, and um, so we were arranging our move in the second or the third lockdown, I can't remember, it's all a bit of a blur, and all I know, we were in a proper lockdown, and, um, and it's quite hard because we've got four daughters, and so to find schools for four daughters is, um, is quite tricky in the lockdown, and so I was literally phoning up every school in Oxford, and uh, you know, you get through to one person, you know, someone laughed at me and said, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And then someone else was like, why are you moving during lockdown? So I had to explain. And then someone else is like, are you sure it's the right time to move your girls? And I was like, I don't know, but I've got to do it. And, um, and it was just going through all these different things. And eventually I got through to a head teacher and um, he said, oh, you know, four daughters, that's quite tricky. And I was like, yes, it is. And, um, and he was saying, um, he said, well, we might be able to help. He said, um, why are you moving in the middle of a lockdown? I said, I don't know. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, but I've, it's actually because I've got to go and start a job. He said, oh, what kind of job? And I said, why? Um, well, I'm sort of um, going to be working for a church. He was like, oh, what kind, what, what's the church? And I was like, oh, just a church in, in the center of Oxford. He was like, which church? And I was like, ooh. <laughs> and I was like, um, oh, uh, it's a church called St. Aldate's. That's pause. <laughs> And he said, oh yeah, I've heard of that church. He said, you know, that, that church has a really positive impact on our city. I think that church helps a lot of people in all sorts of different ways, like young people and um, people who are struggling and people who might be on the streets. I think they do all sorts of stuff. Yeah, that church is having a really positive impact. I cannot tell you how encouraging it was to speak to someone who knew very little about you, but knew the difference you were making to the city. I cannot tell you how encouraging it is to have a head of a random school say, when he heard the name of this church, they have a positive impact on this city. You know, I, I can't tell you how moving it is to be a part of a church which has birthed social outreach ministries which have impacted the world. On Thursday, I was at, at the 25th anniversary of a charity called Viva, which was birthed out of a group of students at this church praying and asking God to move and make a difference and particularly reach out to children who are at risk. And out of that, this charity was birthed, which last year helped 2.2 million children around the world. I can't tell you how moving it is to be at a church that's birthed a kind of act ministry, which, which, which runs alpha in prison and comes alongside people while they're in prison, and supports and mentors people in prison, but doesn't stop there, but meets them at the gate. But doesn't just meet them at the gate, but meets them at the gate and tries to, tries to support them. And, and, and if they need housing, give them housing, and, and give them support in that housing, and actually give them mentors who can help them get it back into education and employment and training. So that you're not just you know, helping people in prison, but you're helping them reintegrate in society, and reintegrate, and actually 
make something really powerful of their lives. Can't tell you how moving it is to build a church which you know, feeds people every single week of the year. But once a month, and we're starting at the end of October, it puts on kind of a banquet for people in our community who really need help. You know, Jesus said, when you throw a banquet, don't, don't invite people who can repay you. Go out and find people who could never invite you back. And that's exactly what this church does. And I love it. Kind of puts on a three-course meal for people who are desperately at need, you know, who, who need support, who need encouragement, who need help, as we all do from time to time. And you know what I love about all of those things? In speaking to the people who are being walked with and mentored and supported and speaking to other people, I never get a sense that it's like, oh, we're doing this for you or we're doing this to you. The only sense I get is we're doing this together. Underpinning it all is an extraordinary friendship. And that's what you're involved with. That's what you're connected with. That's the light that is shining across this city. And we want to be a blessing to the city. A light that shines so people might say they are having a positive impact in this city. They do real good in this city. And I'm grateful for what they do. And I tell you, this is a time to let our light shine. To let our light shine together across the city. But to let your light shine wherever God has placed you. Because people need your help. So many people are struggling. So many people are asking for questions. So many people are wrestling with their purpose. So many people are trying to work out what this all means and they don't have a framework for it. But we know the truth. We know the light. We know the way. Don't ever underestimate the impact you can have by being distinct and by being visible where Jesus has placed you. In Jesus' name. Amen.